Welcome to the Sooners Extra Podcast, powered by the Oklahoman. I'm your host, Ryan Aver. As always, the Sooners Extra Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. We have a special guest for this episode of the podcast as we uh, try to get through a week without Sooners football, as the, the Oklahoma Sooners have this weekend off uh, after starting the season 3-0. and And that is... Chris Plank, uh, sideline reporter for the uh, OU football broadcast, does a little bit of everything down in Norman. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Man, Ryan, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a fun time of year, and I think we got a bye week at the perfect time. So uh, get a little exhale, you know, get ready for get ready for the second half. Well, I guess what would this be? The start of Big 12 play, and then we'll get another – bye week here in a couple of weeks and uh, get ready for the latter half of the season. I, I don't know how you feel, and I'm not just being greedy and selfish from my personal perspective, but I don't know if the bye weeks could have fallen much better on the schedule for the Sooners this year. I think this works out perfect. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I think it's a perfect time to reset when you've got two bye weeks. I think if you had one, this would be a little bit too early for it, but when you got two, having one right after non-conference play, regroup a little bit and uh, take uh, stock of where you're at heading into Big 12 play. I think it worked out at a great time, and I think the second one falls at a great time, too, that allows you to uh, recover a little bit for that final stretch of games because it's going to be a a tough November schedule. My second bye week got a lot worse this week uh, when (laughs) I found out I've got to have some surgery. uh, Oh, no, man. We're going to make it through. I might be... uh, you might see me walking around in a sling for uh, oh boy. for the last part of the season, but uh, is it hopefully shoulder we'll be in surgery? Better shape yeah, I've got a, uh, some rotator cuff issues that I'm going to have to get taken care of. Oh no! You know what? My uh, listen, I'm not here to try to cause any concern, Aver. But oh god, my pops, my but, my dad, <laughs> my dad had shoulder surgery, and you know, he's my, my dad is much different than me. He's tough. He's a tough dude. He's strong. He's muscular. He's a he's a bad dude. And he always told me it's the worst thing I ever had done. So I'm not here to try to make things more concerning for you. I think you can fight through this. I think you're tougher than Ben Roethlisberger. But uh, yeah, good luck, man. I hear those uh, are not fun to have to go through. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. Thanks, I've got to... <laughs> I'm never going to be back on the podcast again after trying to impose <laughs> your feelings for your shoulder surgery. But seriously, man, we'll be praying for you. Hope everything works out okay. I appreciate it. But, Chris, let's talk a little bit about uh, this OU football team and how things have started. Uh, it really has to start with Jalen Hurts and what we've seen out of him through three weeks. I think a lot of us expected him to be really good, to be better than he was at, at Alabama in Lincoln Riley's offense. But I don't think a lot of people expected this, what he's been able to do to be able to put up numbers. And you hear the stats every week, uh, you know, that first game against Houston – was doing things that uh, neither Baker Mayfield nor Kyler Murray had done. And then in that UCLA game with that 99 yards rushing in the first quarter, a couple of the other stats that he put up, no other Oklahoma quarterback had ever done. I mean, this thing's worked out as well as Lincoln Riley could have hoped. It's amazing, isn't it? It's been so flawless. I, uh, it's funny. I, so I probably do a little bit too much radio. We've had my morning show on the sports on Sports Talk uh, fourteen hundred. I do Big Twelve today. I've got the Fox Sports Radio, but on the, the Big Twelve Today show on Sirius XM that that I've been co-hosting with Gabe Eichert this week. That's been my my constant question. You know, sometimes we get maybe it's angles or storylines that we, we kind of fall in love with asking about. I've really, you know, I've fallen in love with asking people if there's anything about the Jalen Hurts start that has surprised them and what they want to see next. And it was, I mean, I was, I was trying to think in my head, you know, we've had, we've talked to guys like Michael Jr., Dennis Dodd. I think we've, we've talked to Brandon Whedon about it today a little bit. But to a person and almost to a man, it was, you know, nothing has really surprised me yet. And it, you forget, and Ryan, you and I are at every Oklahoma game, you know, for the last, I, I mean, for me, since 2011, and I think you probably go back a little bit longer than that, but, you know, we sometimes lose sight of other things going on across the country. 
And I can be honest and say I didn't watch every Jalen Hurts snap when he was the starting quarterback at Alabama. Um, I saw enough to think I had a pretty good feel on him. But I had forgotten how good of a runner he was. You know, this, he didn't lose his job because Tua Tungavailoa was a better running quarterback than him. He lost his job to Tua because Tua's kind of a generational quarterback. You know, this is a guy that, you know, as we sit here and as we tape this on you know, the, the Thursday of the bye week, you know, Tua might be the top pick in this year's draft. And what's crazy about it is now you're starting to see mock drafts that have Jalen Hurts as a top 10 pick. So it's not as if he lost his job because he couldn't, he couldn't muster it at the quarterback position. He lost his job because Tua is just special. So, again, I, I had completely lost sight of just how good of a running quarterback he was. And maybe you stop saying quarterback and just say runner, period that he is because he's just a, he's just a solid he's a solid speed power uh finds those gaps finds those holes knows his angles so i've been i've been really impressed with what i've seen from that perspective and you know the numbers the numbers aren't going to make a lot of sense when i make this next point uh i mean it was like two games and bill beanbow with the the frustration that he had over the defense. Statistically, you would look at it and you think, what is he talking about? You know, they're averaging seven yards and nine yards a rush. But I, I still want to see more in pushing the ball down the field from him. You know, and that's just being greedy. Listen, I know this. That's me wanting everything that I want my, I want my, what, what is it? Have my cake and eat it too. You know, I want more. But I think that's going to be that continued next step. And whenever I would pose that question all week long, Ryan, that was kind of it. Hey, we always knew he was a great runner, but now I want to continue to see him push it down the field. And if you have a guy like CeeDee Lamb one-on-one on the outside, throw it up there, man. Let him go make a play. He's made it so far. So I'm uh, that to me is what I'm most intrigued by going forward. And I'm just, I'm almost in awe of how Lincoln Riley has been able to get these quarterbacks ready to where every move is seamless, you know, from Baker to Kyler to Jalen. I mean, it's just, it's amazing how seamless these transitions have been. Yeah, I think it's easy to forget that it's not always this easy. Uh, right. You know, even going back uh, to, to Baker Mayfield, his first quarterback, you know, that offense when, when Lincoln Raleigh came obviously had a lot of work to go from what Josh Heifel had at the end. But, you know, it right. wasn't just a fast, fast start for Baker Mayfield, but from Mayfield to Murray and now Murray to Hurts, has been incredibly seamless. Once he got that offense in place and got it going, it's been amazing. And like I said, I hope OU fans aren't too spoiled by that and realize just how special this is that they're able to keep doing this. Because every year we say, oh, the Oklahoma offense has to drop off this year, right? Right. And right. at this point, it hasn't at all, which considering the level that they've been at is just unbelievable. You know, and, and I'm glad you brought – I think you you had either wrote about it or, or Lincoln had mentioned it. You know, you go back and, I mean, I, I'll never forget September 12th of 2015. And that was, yeah. that was Oklahoma and Tennessee. And there was, there was an offense that had struggled through the first half. I mean, we went into the fourth quarter with Oklahoma trailing Tennessee 17-3. to and it, I, I can remember now and going back and rewatching it, I don't remember if it was ABC or CBS or, or whomever had the game, but there were constant shots of Trevor Knight on the sideline. Constant shots. No one forgets, no one remembers that in that game, Baker Mayfield was 19 of 39 with two picks. What they remember are the three touchdowns late, the throw to Sterling Shepard, the, the, the fade in the corner of the end zone. You know, my, my point in bringing all that up is not to, you know, dump all over anything, but just to say it took time. It wasn't immediate with Baker whenever, you know, that was what game number two of the Lincoln Riley era. So to see this get established as it's been and to see it continue to be smooth. And Ryan, I'm, you're right. We better appreciate it as fans. We better enjoy it because, I mean, back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners, back-to-back top picks, and we'll see, you know, what happens with Jalen going forward. You know, this is just – this is an amazing trend. This is an amazing run right now. And at some point, it's going to be a sophomore quarterback, right? <laughs> Who's not going to be <laughs> I mean, it's drop not eligible right? <laughs> right at some point. But as it stands right now, man, this is, uh, this is pretty incredible to see uh, just how smooth things have gone with Jalen Hurts through three games, knowing 
how much of a struggle it was when you go back to the first you know, three quarters of game two of the Lincoln Riley era. It's amazing. Yeah, that, that Tennessee game is one that's going to be talked about a lot. And I know next year when, uh, when they get ready to kick that series back up again, that that yeah. game will certainly be brought up. But, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people forget just how instrumental that game is sort of the turning point that that game became, uh, for this uh, for this offense and the way that it, it turned around since then, uh, Chris also want to ask you about the defensive side. I, I know there's a lot of talk about well, you know, these offenses that they played haven't been very powerful, and that's true. But uh, obviously, Derek King I think is going to be really really good and put up some really big numbers there at Houston by the time this season is over. But uh, how much improvement do you think? Uh, this defense has, has uh, gone through since the, since the end of last year. It certainly looks different. It remains to be seen right. how much better it is, but uh, certainly seems like there's some noticeable things that are that are much better about this group than uh, that one a year ago. Well, I mean, I, I understand that. You know, we're when I say we, I, I include myself in the fan base. So <laughs> we're in a mindset to where. You, you you want to shut out everyone, and I, that's just not realistic, not just in this conference, but at all. And you're looking at a defense that is already in two games forced five turnovers, that uh, in three games, excuse me, has forced five turnovers, that, you know, is, to me, they've created an identity. You know, they, we, we know what this defense is about. It's about forcing turnovers. It's about getting 11 guys to the football, and they're out there having fun. It's... You know, I don't feel like there's been a time there was there's one instance where you look up, and you're like, oh, busted coverage. You know, that's it. It's happened once this year. And the big complaint was, do they have the signals? There hasn't been a time that I can think of this year where I look at the last minute. I, I, I see someone turning to the sidelines to try to get a get a call from Alex Grinch or Brian Odom or our coach Tibbs. You know, they, they they get it. So to me, all those all those factor into Im- improvement in Chris Plank's world, you know, and I. And I get it. Again, you know, some people get mad whenever a team scores that you don't think has any right scoring. But to me, the way you respond to that says everything. And to every time Oklahoma has given up points, they've responded, I think, in a big way so far this year. I love and I hope fans have caught what they're doing on turnovers where they, they hold their fist up on the sidelines. It's brought everyone together. I think it's a, it's a really cool thing. And I, I am, you know, there's two things that I'm, I'm really enjoying, and one of them has been an adjustment. And I don't know what it's like for you guys in the box, but if Kenneth Murray were to come off the field, I'm racing up and down the sideline to try to figure out what happened. You know, where, where is he? Is, is he on the tra- Is he on the athletic trainer table? Is, you know, is Doc Schnabel talking to him? Is he with Jim Hillis? What's going on here? And when that happened, I think it was against Houston. You know, Teddy Lehman, who is, I mean, one of the greatest linebackers in Oklahoma Sooner history, said, hey, guys, this is going to be the norm. They're going to try to get a couple series in there for their guys so everyone can be fresh. And that's been a big adjustment for me, <laughs> just as a fan. They're like, whoa, what, why, why isn't Trey Brown out there? He just had an interception. You're like, oh, okay, we're going to rotate. And I think it's awesome. You know, the, the more that I've been able to realize it, you're better when you're fresher. And now a lot of things that Alex Grinch was saying during spring ball is starting to make more sense to me where he talked about having 22. Well, he was talking about having 22 because they want to play 22 guys. You know, they want to play more guys. They want to, they want to rotate players in. They want guys to be fresh. I think the days of having uh, any defensive player out there with 90 or more plays, those are gone. And I don't have snap totals right here in front of me, but uh, it's just it's it's refreshing to see, and it's been a challenge, I think. But if you go back to last week, the series that Brian Mead came in for Kenneth Murray, I think it was a three and out. I think that a sack. Yeah, I mean, on that uh, series. what's the third series of the game, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, yeah. And so they're not just putting guys in for the sake of saying, "All right, let's give this a try." These are guys that have proven themselves and that they have confidence in going out there and making plays. So that is one thing that's been really cool to see, and it's been adjustment from me. And then the other thing that I guess just from my sideline perspective that I've noticed, Ryan, that I really dig is when, when the conversation is taking place on the sideline between if it's Roy Manning and his corners, if it's Brian Odom and his inside backers, uh, if it's, 
you know, Calvin Thibodeau and his defensive line, though it's kind of always been this way with Tibbs, or Alex Grinch coming over and bringing up something to safeties or the entire defense. It's not just talking to one or two guys, you know, unless it's going to one guy and saying, hey, you're in the series. But it's, it's everybody, you know, and, and I dig that. You know, it's not just, all right, you're the two linebackers in the game. Get around me. Here's the dry erase board. Let's figure this out. No, no, no. It's all right. Where's my six inside backers? Get around me. Here's what we saw. What did you see? And same thing with the corners. Roy Manning isn't just talking to Parnell Motley or Trey Brown. Jordan Parker is there. Uh, the freshman is, is there. Jane Davis is there as well, too. So that's been something for me that I've seen on the sidelines that has really been awesome because it's no longer just a matter of, all right, these couple of guys who are their major players. It's everybody that, that's in on these conversations. And I think that's been a really cool thing to see from a, from a coaching perspective. These guys are these guys are big, big, big on their scheme. They believe in it. They believe in their philosophy, and I think you've seen a great buy-in so far, Ryan. So a very long answer to a very short, specific question. Yeah, I think that there has been um, – if you don't see the improvement right now, I think you're just trying not to. I think you're somebody that is uh, going to try to look at things from a negative perspective regardless. Yeah, and Chris Plank, uh, always the radio professional, teasing something that he had no idea he was teasing there as Joe Masato <laughs> in Friday's Oklahoma is going to write about the defensive rotations and, and the way oh, that nice. Alex has set those up. And, you know, uh, you talked about it perfectly there with Kenneth Murray and, and Brian Mee, that that's something that uh, Sooners fans have panicked about in the past, but they've just got to get used to that. And when yeah. they do that, and there's no drop-off, as we saw with the job that Brian Mee did, as we've obviously seen with the job that Jaden Davis did, We've seen it in a lot of spots. I think it's really going to help them on the defensive line, especially that that's going to be the norm. And that's what Alex Grinch wants. And that's what Alex Grinch is getting. And the fact he's getting it now without a lot of his players, I mean, really David Obwegbu is the only player that Alex Grinch had a part in getting on this campus. That that's just going to start being more and more what uh, Oklahoma fans are going to see what Alex Grinch wants. But We're going to take a break right there on the Sooners Extra podcast. Be sure and bookmark RedRiverRivalryRadio.com for Oklahoma, Texas Week as we launch a 24-hour, seven-day-long pop-up radio station celebrating this historic rivalry. We look forward as we go live on October 5th in preparation for the October 12th showdown. I'm Ryan Aber, and this is the Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zach. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast, brought to you by Zaxby's. Taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. Once again, we're joined by Chris Plank, sideline reporter for OU Football. And uh, Chris, I wanted to talk to you about your journey a little bit uh, to this point. I know we're pretty close in age. I think we're uh, just a couple years apart. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, are you 44 now? I, I'm Can 44. I turned 44 last year. Yeah, cool. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, listen, it was it was funny though that you say that because when I first started doing softball, and this is a this is a, a hat tip to Patty Gasso, uh, we celebrated my first my birthday is on April twenty third, so my birthday is always during softball season, and we were on the road and uh, we were playing Tennessee. As a matter of fact, we were in Knoxville, Tennessee, and it's like it's my birthday. She goes, "Oh, okay, happy birthday, how old are you?" I'm like, ah, "I don't really want to say that." She kind of looked at me. She goes, "You should always be." of how old you are and from that point forward i was like you know what i'm 44 and i am proud of it coach you're absolutely right so yeah 44 i've seen a few things you know i only bring up the age thing because we are uh, pretty close in age but um i've been listening to you for a long long time uh, <laughs> because i went to junior college out in warner oklahoma connor state oh, wow. in the Ufala area at the time so i was driving a lot which meant a lot of time with the, in the car with the radio on and listen to, to you and Don King a lot uh, up there in Tulsa. wanted to ask you a little bit, how did you get started in radio in Tulsa? And especially uh, wanted to ask you about the influence that Don King has had on, on your career. Yeah, dude, Don's awesome. He hired me. So, I, so if you do the math, I'm 44. 
I graduated from college. I went to the University of Tulsa in 97. And I was one of those kind of odd birds that actually did college in four years. And I look back at it, I'm like, whoa, you thinking? But that must I, Yeah, I know, right? What was I thinking? I should have stretched out like five or six if I was really smart. Should have gone the Van Wilder route. But so I graduated. And at that time, you know, this is, it's funny you talk about listening to sports radio. And this was pre-podcasts. You know, the, the internet in 97 was still very much in its infancy. And in all reality, sports radio was just really kind of on the come. You know, you, you had ESPN radio, but it was only on the weekends. You know, there wasn't really, um, uh, I think there was like the one-on-one sports network there. So there wasn't this bastion of options. And I had always thought that I was going to be a TV guy. So I graduated with my communications degree and I couldn't get a job. Um, so I just happened upon a part-time job at the radio station uh, as a college grad, I, I started selling for this media company called Ork Incorporated and Harry Willis, who I think only hired me because I worked in the sports information department and I worked part-time at the radio station and I would, I would run Cardinal games. And then, you know, they gave me a block of programming on Saturday morning to where I could, uh, you know, I could come in and just kind of do a couple of shows and I didn't know what I was doing. So I'd have like my roommates on. It was just, it was probably, we were probably doing barstool sports in 97 only it was on amplitude modulation and not on a, on a podcast platform. But yeah, so I just, I kind of, kind of started having fun doing radio and I hadn't really done any radio. And, uh, and so I, we started doing, I started producing Don King's morning show. And as would be the case, we all got fired. And I mean, I was a part-time guy making a minimum wage, so they didn't fire me. They kept me around to run games and, you know, Don said, hey, listen, it, this happens. Don't get too down about it. And honestly, dude, I'm like, I'm a part-time employee. I don't know what's going on here. You know, they, there was a lot of really cool people that worked at the station. So anyway, short story, really long. Um, we kind of, I kind of stayed around, kind of bugged the GM to say, hey, let me start doing more radio. Uh, they brought in Dave Garrett to do an afternoon show. And uh, Dave and I seemed to click and hit it off real well. Ryan Rayholm, Big Al came, and they were working at Channel 2 at the time. And we kind of built a, a nice little Tulsa sports radio world. And then Don King reentered the fray, and he and I started doing afternoons together. And it just it really kind of clicked. And, you know, you bring on guys, and there's names throughout the years, like you know, Jeremy Poplin, Pop, who's killing it right now up in Tulsa. You know, we did, we did the afternoon show for ages together. But I was – I was really kind of unique on the radio side of things, uh, Ryan, because I had one job and that was it. I was, I was sports radio, 1430 KQLL. And that was my job. And I was the afternoon guy. And I did, you know, after all kinds of the, the dust settled and we went through a couple general managers and a couple operations directors, you know, and that two to six was my, that was my daily gig. And, you know, I had a morning show that I would do sports updates on with the guys on KMOD, Phil and Brent, and that kind of that really helped for me in Tulsa to, to to get me to another level where people knew me. It's like, for instance, today I joke that nobody knows Chris Plank, the sideline reporter. They know, oh, that's the guy that does the scoreboard update with the cheerleaders around him. Well, <laughs> you know, you go go back 15 years ago. Uh, I, I, no one knew Chris Plank, the afternoon host on sports radio. They knew, oh, Chris Plank, you do sports with Phil and Brent. So it's always been kind of cool to, to follow that path. And yeah, you ask about Don, you know, he, he gave me my first opportunity. You know, he really did and allowed me, allowed me to kind of approach it how I wanted to and taught me about overcoming adversity, uh, taught me how to do play by play, which I had no idea what I was doing uh, and just really kind of opened that door for me. So I, I like to think. That when he opened that door, I kind of held it ajar for a little bit, and then when I really figured things out, I kind of kicked the door open. Uh, but man, if it wasn't if it wasn't for Don King, I'd probably be I'd probably be just a, a fan who's got a Twitter feed that's uh, thinking he knows everything and spewing hate all the time and calling into sports radio shows. So yeah, he, he definitely made it possible for me to be talking about the Raiders. Yeah, talking about how John Gruden's sucking my will to live or something like that. So. Yeah, he's uh he's meant a lot to me. But that that's the great thing about this business is you know I could start naming people that that meant a lot to me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna fall short, you know, of, of coming up because I got I mean it, there's a lot that I mean I everyone oh, hard work hard, yeah we all work hard. I don't know many people that go into their job and just kick their feet up and they're like, gosh, I hope I get a break today. No, you grind, and so I did things that probably I shouldn't have done from the perspective of 
you know, working 20 hour shifts or maybe sleeping an hour before I went in to try to run a game or maybe even sleeping at the station. But, you know, to me, that was all what it was going to take to get to that next level. And, you know, thankfully it worked out. It's been a, it's been a wild, uh, fun, challenging ride to get to this point to where, you know, things have kind of stabilized a little bit. And you, you mentioned it there. So I want to ask you a little bit about the, not only the, uh, scoreboard updates that you give in the stadium. If you're ever at an OU game, I'm sure you've seen those where, where Chris has the cheerleaders, like you said, around him. But has there ever been a moment, whether you're in, in one of those or, or on the radio, where you either completely lose what you're about to say or get choked up and you've got to figure out a way to navigate through that? Because that's a, a really uh, – uh, I'm trying to think. Not not awkward is the word I'm. But oh, it can be awkward, dude. It's okay. Wrong, it can be awkward. Everybody knows it. Yeah, I've. Uh, there's been a couple situations with the scoreboard update to where, you know, my son, my, my son, my son Will, who lives in Tulsa, he's 15. He he was at a game and they had left my microphone on for just a split second afterwards. And, you know, when they cut away from me, I turned like, thank you, ladies. That was awesome. Appreciate it. And it went booming over the sound system whenever I said that. So my, my son will not allow me to forget about that um, every time <laughs> that I see him. And then earlier this year, in our first game, they had rolled the highlights from the first update. And I kind of, I'll be honest with you, I kind of panicked a little bit because I saw the first update whenever it popped up. And so I started talking about that. And then everything just froze. And I thought to myself, well, here we go. This is what you've been preparing your whole life for. In my mind, I was saying, okay, I'm going to have the cheerleaders run a play, and we're going to fake it, and we're going to we're going to play it out for the cameras here. But they kind of got it back to me quickly, and I was able to wrap up. So, yeah, I've been, you know, the the great thing about that scoreboard update is there's so many layers of people that put hard work into it that all I have to do is stand there and let's see. I can't cross my arms anymore because the softball team makes fun of me. So I got to stand up straighter. <laughs> And I got to make sure that I'm not crossing my arms in front of my belly and giving my scoreboard update. But there's so, there's so many layers. There's people back in Sooner Vision that have put the highlights together. There's probably an assistant that has sent me a script. And then you have the hardworking people up in the press box that are making sure it all plays out. So that's almost foolproof. But, man, I'll tell you what. I'm uh, doing a lot of overnight radio. You know, I do a lot of overnight shows. I had a 1 to 5 a.m. show on Fox Sports Radio for about a year and a in fact, I'm doing 2 to 5 a.m. on Sunday morning this week and next week. There'll be some moments during that where you'll, you'll start to make a point and then your mind just goes to mush and you realize there's no one there to bail me out. You know, this is 3 a.m. on a Sunday morning and yeah, it, it can be a little bit of a challenge, but we've all had them. You know, it's like I, writer's block. You know, it's the worst thing on the planet. It's almost like talking about a shank whenever you're playing golf. You don't want to do it. But you have almost these these just little brain farts, if you will, that uh, and, and there's nothing worse than whenever you say something, and this happens to me a lot, this might be old age, right, where you're so sure you've made a good point, right? And and I again I mentioned Big Twelve today, but Gabe Eicher and I do that show together a lot, and I feel really good about making a point and he looks at me and goes, did you mean Chuba Hubbard or did you mean someone else? Because I completely said the wrong person's name. So that, that happens to me a lot now, but I, again, I'm not, I'd much rather be called on that and be told, Hey, moron, here's what you said than to allow it to just continue. So I've, I've always think I've had a felt like I've had a good, a good approach on those because they're all going to screw up, man. It's going to happen, but it's just, do you take it personally and do you get all mad and you get all upset about it? No, you have fun with it and let it roll. And, I think most people respect that because they realize that nobody's perfect whenever it comes to stuff like this. And it's not, it's not hard work, but it's not easy either. You know, it's, most I can kick my feet up and do radio. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to be on at 3.30 a.m. on Sunday morning. Come on over and uh, I'll walk out of the room and uh, you see how things go for you. So it's, so it's always interesting to kind of see how that plays out. Yeah, the, the other thing I want to ask you, Chris, uh, before we get out of here, I know this is a, a long answer as well. How did you make that transition from uh, sports talk in Tulsa to what you're doing now with OU and, and doing a great job there on the sidelines? Like you mentioned, you've got about five or six other jobs. Uh, you know, it's, it's no longer the uh, the one job thing like you were talking about earlier. 
it seems yeah. like any time you turn on the radio, uh, you hear Chris Plank there, which isn't a bad thing at all. But uh, how, how did you wind up uh, working at OU? Well, so in um, whenever Toby took over as the play-by-play guy, I just, um, you know, I had been fortunate enough to call a couple of OU events. I went with Coach Cole's team to Georgia, and I called a basketball game there. And Mike Houck and I actually did the play-by-play of the New Year's Eve game between Gonzaga and Oklahoma when Tiny Gallon broke the backboard. I was on the call of that. And so, you know, Eric Barnhart at Sooner Sports Properties, they kind of knew me a little bit. And when I saw Toby get the job, I just, I mean, I legitimately reached out and said, if you guys need anything, you know, I'd, I'd love an opportunity to fill in. And so sure enough, he's like, hey, well, let's, let's talk about it. And I ended up getting to do the spring game. And, you know, there's, they talk about in life, love at first sight. But the first time that Toby Rowland cracked that mic and, and we got a chance to work together, it was, aha, this, this is my guy. This is who I've been waiting to work with, you know, beyond being able to do sports talk with Pop. This is my guy right here. And it's just clicked ever since. And so uh, I got really lucky. I got, I got really lucky to have a guy that believes in me, and I really believe in him, and I think he's the, the best play-by-play guy on the planet. So, in other words, I got that opportunity in 2011, and, you know, I just, I, I, I just have so much fun doing it. I respect the program. I respect the fans. I mean, I just think it's it's such a unique position because, and Toby and I talk about this a lot. We do talk shows, and you're expected to be opinionated on those talk shows. But I'm never gonna say anything that's gonna put, you know, my my numero uno job, Oklahoma, in a, in a bad position or a bad light. I mean, that's just I, I hate I hate to even think about that. It makes me almost sick to my stomach. So. With that in mind, there's always a balance, but for the most part, it's just, it's fun. You know, we, we get to call games. Uh, we, we get to, you know, travel with the team. We get to be there. And then I, through all of this, somehow have absolutely positively lucked into getting to call softball games. And, I mean, I, I could go back 15 years ago and tell, you know, what would that be? 29-year-old Chris Blank, hey, dude, you're going to be calling softball, and it's going to become your, your favorite thing on the planet. And... 29-year-old Chris Plank would say, okay, get out of here, old man, because it's just, it was something that was never on my radar. And I have, I mean, I've fallen in love with not just this this sport, but this program. And so, you know, Oklahoma has given me in football and in calling softball and being blessed to call baseball games, you know, calling Sheldon Noisy and calling names like Jonathan Gray when they were here. You know, this, this university and senior sports properties has given me much more than I can ever give them. So I always kind of look at it as, you know, I, I got lucky and I'm going to take advantage of that by just working and grinding as hard as I can. And the one thing that's really cool, and I know, and I appreciate whenever you, you, you talk to me and let me do the, um, the, the, the breakdown in the paper. And I, and I hope this point goes out. There's so many stories that are still to be told about what goes on on game day that, I mean, I think we could do this for 50 years and never tell all the stories, you know, from, from the job that a guy like Brad Camp does, you know, in, in, in setting up practices and making sure the gear is where it needs to be, to you know, all of the all of the different security workers inside a stadium and, and the the facilities people have to put that together, you know, the marketing people that are grinding to make sure this works out, the strength guys who have put in the work, you know, the Benny Wileys of the world. I mean, there's so many stories on game day, the administration, the Kenny Mossmans and Greg Tiptons of the world that I just, I, I hope that we can tell those stories that the people who don't get the light shown upon them get it. So that's, again, a long answer to a very short and, and simple question. Uh, how do I make that transition? I'm just going to do whatever it takes to make sure that we cover them as, and tell the stories that fans want to hear and do to the best of my ability. You know, I've, I've really been lucky, Ryan. I mean, really lucky. I've, uh, and not just, you know, coming down here and moving to Norman, it's opened a lot of doors for me. I'm doing a, a daily sports talk show from 9 to 11 a.m. On, on Sports Talk 1400, and Randy LaFoon is a diehard Sooner fan, and he puts his money where his mouth is because he's put a radio station together that covers the Sooners 24-7. Uh, I've, I've been blessed to do Fox Sports Radio now for seven football seasons, and, you know, from 10 p to 1 a on Sunday nights, I might have a a co-host who makes me want to run into a wall head first, but I always enjoy getting that forum to do it. And, you know, Sirius XM is, has given me an opportunity to do the Saturday game day show where I'm on from 5 to 8 a.m. doing Big 12 today. So um, there's been a lot, 
you know, that has, has happened for me. And I'm, I'm sometimes wondering why, you know, how did I get so lucky to have all this happen for me? But, you know, I'm just going to keep grinding away. And uh, Oklahoma's a, a great place to work with the, the TV side of things, with the radio side of things. And you ask what the transition has been like or, or how I was able to make that transition. Man, it's uh, it's simple. The only hard thing has been to try to find a consistent school for my daughters here in Norman. That's the only hard part of all of this. I think we're on our third school in three years, but we'll get it figured out. We're loving Norman. It's a it's been a great city for us, and I don't plan on going anywhere for the rest of my life. So uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Well, Chris, I, I really appreciate you joining us. You mentioned uh, mentioned where folks can catch you on the radio. Uh, let them know where they can follow you on Twitter or follow you on social media or. Uh, or, or find you anywhere else. You know, uh, you can follow me on Plank Show on Twitter. That's at Plank Show. I legitimately only tweet about softball, football, and the Oakland Raiders, so follow at your own discretion. Uh, I will say this, you know, in kind of flanking with this podcast, I would encourage all of you to check out our Sooner Sports podcast, Soonersports.com slash podcast. All the coaching shows are there. And, man, for uh, OU fans, take advantage of Sports Talk 1499.3 FM. It's a uh, you know, Toby does the morning, Teddy does the afternoons, and they allow me a couple of hours uh, to just talk Sooner football. So it's a blast. I appreciate, you know, I'll say this. I am a, a proud subscriber to the Oklahoman, uh, a, a daily checker of NewsOK.com. I support local journalism, and I think everyone should as it's well, too. It's not NewsOK.com anymore, though. What did you guys change it to? Oklahoman.com. NewsOK.com is a full redirect, but. Yeah, Okay. Well, I was going to say, because that's my bookmark. So go to Oklahoma.com. But and not just the job that Ryan does, but that Joe Masato does in covering this program. If you haven't read Joe's story uh, what, from a couple of weeks ago where he watched the game with Ricky Dixon, it, it's just it, yeah, it grabs your heart. If you haven't read Ryan's updates from practices, they're incredible from the job that Barry and his crew does. But, yeah, I, I appreciate having the opportunity to talk about the Sooners and a little bit about me and the fam, but the more importantly, I, I hope people are, are not just clicking on this, but clicking on all the stories because they really help us do our job much better. Well, hey, Chris, again, I really appreciate you joining us. Great stuff. Uh, I'm your host, Ryan Haber, uh, with Chris Point today, and this is the Sooner Sexual Podcast presented by Zach. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast brought to you by Zaxby's. Taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. Uh, I'm your host once again, Ryan Aber, joined uh, for this segment by Joe Masato. And uh, Joe, let's answer some mailbag questions. Let's do it. So uh, the first one um, has to do with a, a, a commitment that Oklahoma picked up on uh, Thursday afternoon, um, Aaron Parks' offensive uh, tackle basically uh, just asked um, about the way this class is uh, coming together and uh, uh, specifically about the offensive line recruiting. Is this the best group of offensive linemen as a whole that Oklahoma was, was, has recruited uh, to this point? Uh, uh, Joe, I'll let you start off with that one. Well, I mean, y- you know, it's it's going to be a tough one because I mean if you're just looking at numbers, it definitely has a chance to be based on the ratings. Um, it, it's a 2020 group that already includes Nate Anderson, um, Andrew Rame. You mentioned Aaron Parks, uh, Anton Harrison, who who was also a recent commit earlier this month. So you've got right there; those are all four star guys. Uh, those are all guys who are almost consensus top 200 guys. Oklahoma's class is now kind of creeping into that top 10 range with. Uh, what is it now? Eighteen commits. Yeah, so, I, I want to say that uh, rivals, as of uh, the the commitment of Aaron Parks, had them number eleven. Okay. So uh, that's yeah. I think they're eight on good. on the composite, which is just a you know another way to measure this. Yeah, and I like the composite because it sort of takes out the the biases of of any one uh, group. Um, 
and you know we've talked about what we do with the recruiting <laughs> rankings and things like that. We'll leave that for for off the air discussions. <laughs> but no, I, I think that those are uh, are very interesting to look at, and the fact that Oklahoma is in that range, that uh, eight to eleven range, is. Uh, not bad considering the number the sort of this is a smaller class uh, for them yeah that's right uh, you know and I, I think the only thing you know again these are just numbers we're going by but it's yet again a class that is very top heavy as far as offensive guys now I think you're going to see that even out here in the coming years as Alex Grinch develops his system but part of it is they're just They've been the most elite offensive program in the country, so it only makes sense that they would recruit. I mean, if you're an offensive lineman, why wouldn't you want to play for Bill Biedenboe? And that's part of it. But I, you know, I, I think you're going to see them, um, you know, s- sort of focus more on, on on getting some of these four and five star defensive recruits. Yeah, I, I think the the fact that they've got uh, Perry and Winfrey, the the number one junior college player in the country, defensive tackle. Um, and uh, was a defensive tackle from Iowa Western. Sorry, I was uh, getting something loaded there. And uh, that they've got a couple of these other guys on defense, especially uh, Bryson Washington, the safety from, from Houston, who's uh, currently the number eight uh, safety in the country, according to, to rivals. I think that, that those are sort of the building blocks, and you're not going to see just this flood of great defensive mm-hmm. players. But if you can pick out a couple of them, and then hit on some of the you know lower ranked guys that you get, you know guys like uh, Brennan Walker, the the linebacker from McGinnis, right. who isn't uh, isn't ranked extremely highly, just uh, just a number fifty six outside linebacker in the country, um, not in the rivals three hundred right now. You know if you hit on some of those guys, I, I think it becomes and your defense shows on the field that it's better. Then it becomes a whole lot easier to convince those four and five star guys to pull the trigger and commit on defense. That's right, and and, and another part of this, I mean, this isn't a new issue necessarily. It's just that a lot of the best defensive players in the country come from uh, the southeast region of the U.S., and that's why you know SEC recruiting, uh, as far as getting defensive guys, is a little bit higher. But I think you are seeing that balance out, and you touched on the guy that. I expect to have quite a big impact, maybe start right away, and that's Perion Winfrey. I, I think you're, you know, he he even has a more impressive pedigree than Laurent Stokes came in with, and Laurent Stokes has started two of three games for the Sooners and is playing an awful lot on that defensive front. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, to me, if you're thinking about it, I think that uh, Winfrey slides right in there in that spot where, where Neville Gallimore right. is right now. And if you keep Jalen Redmond at that other interior spot, and Jalen Redmond and Laurent Stokes, um, that's a pretty good rotation there uh, that you've got there and a, a really good base to build on the future. So I, I think, um, like you said, there's still a lot of work to do on, on defense, the defensive side recruiting-wise, but you're starting to see some progress and I think that that progress is only continue going to continue to show as uh, Oklahoma shows on the field that it's a better product. And I think you're you are seeing probably the most encouraging signs for the future right now on defense, and that is on the defensive line. You mentioned guys like Ronnie Perkins, Jalen Redmond, Marcus Stripling. Um, all of these guys are playing early. All of these guys are, are still going to be at, at OU for a couple more years, and they're just difference makers that they haven't really had up front. So, um, you know, if they, I, I think that's one way they can sort of boost sort of the the primary weakness that I think this defense has had over the last several years. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll see how defensive recruiting continues to go. But right now, the offense chugging right along, especially that group with uh, Bill Biedenboe here. Just uh, just since the first of September, he's got two uh, two four star uh, defensive tack or uh, defensive tackles, offensive tackles that have committed in Aaron Parks and Anton Harrison. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the next question here. Um, you know, we've 
this is this has been my fault. I've been slacking on our uh, red shirt tracker so far this year, but we put one out yesterday. To me, it's always fun to uh, guess which guys might red shirt and which not. Especially, I think college football has become more entertaining with this four game red shirt rule, giving freshmen that you would have never otherwise seen play uh, play because. Uh, just a guy like Spencer Rattler and, you know, Marcus Major, some of those guys that only played in one game so far. But I'm going to turn to you. The, the guys that have played three games, and I know we've talked about these guys a ton, but Jane Hazelwood, Trajan Bridges, and Theo Weiss, they've all played in three games. Do you expect all of them to play in more than four games this year and not redshirt? Yeah, I would expect so at, the, at this point. I mean, to me, Weiss was the guy that I sort of wondered about after the first couple of weeks, but uh, it looks like he's likely uh, t- to break that mark and, and play in more games. He is still the one who, you know, if you're going to tell me, okay, one of the, uh, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys, seven freshmen who played in uh, three games to this point, if you're going to tell me one of them is going to redshirt pick which one it is uh, without injury, uh, it would be Theo Weiss. Uh, to me at this point because I, I think that certainly uh, Jaden Hazelwood has proven that he's worthy of being in the rotation at receiver. Uh, Trajan Bridges has had some good moments at receiver, but he's also a big-time uh, component on their special teams. Heck, I think he's had a tackle a game mm-hmm. uh, on, on special teams. Jaden Davis, don't even have to mention him. He's been fantastic yeah, The to two Jadens are playing every uh, game. Yeah. Um, Austin Stogner is a guy who's been used a lot in like goal line situations, especially. Um, so I think we're going to continue to see him. Uh, Marcus Stripling, uh, I think his role is going to continue to grow a little bit as the season goes on. And I think probably the same thing from uh, David Ogwegbu, the uh, the freshman outside linebacker. So I lean toward all of those guys not redshirting, but but Theo Weiss is the one guy that I could see it happening with. I, I think that's right. I, I'm in total agreement there. I think Weiss is uh, the best chance out of those two redshirt. The next guy probably would be David Ogwegbu. Um, I, I went back and watched some of the, you know, tried to track snaps through that UCLA game, and he had some pretty big plays, but they're more they're deeper than we even expected at linebacker. Uh, he could get pushed out of that rotation, um, or you could also look at it and say, hey, he's already playing three games. He's only going to get better. Um, <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see there. I mean, you've got to uh, have the continued growth out of John Michael Terry and Nick Benito that's right. at that spot. And Heck Benito had a really big moment last week. So you would anticipate that happening, and maybe if that happens, then it becomes easier to, to, to uh, redshirt David Ogwegbu. And I just want to say Agwegbu as much as possible. <laughs> like Tunga Vailoa <laughs> yesterday yes. in the last podcast. Yes. It, it's the name of the of the podcast. <laughs> we, need, we need to just like one one name every week that we want to uh, say uh, more and more. And a, a candidate for uh, some week, probably down the road, because I don't know how much we're ever going to mention him on the podcast this year, except for right now, is uh, EJ and Doma Ogar. I, I knew that's where you were going with it. <laughs> Another those, another Allen High uh, prospect. Well, Joe, let's stick with that uh, that theme from that question for a minute. Out of the guys who haven't played in three games, uh, the the group of three that have played in two, and the uh, what seven who played in one game. When you talk about EJ and Doma Ogar, Corey Roberson, Stacy Wilkins have played in two games each, uh, played in one game. Jeremiah Cradell. Marcus Major, Jamal Morris, Spencer Rattler, Damon Smith, Woody Washington, and Joseph Wete. Um, I hope I'm saying that one right. I think you got so it. An- another candidate uh, f- for names. Um, which one of those guys maybe is the least likely to redshirt? Is there a guy in that group who you think maybe his role grows and becomes a more than four-game player at some point this year? I think it could be Jeremiah Cradell. Um, you know, he's only played in one game, but – that's just he's a versatile safety. He can also play the nickel spot, and those are positions that, um, if you have to point to a weakness right now with that defense, I don't think they've gotten the safety play they quite desire. 
you know, Buki's been solid at, at nickel, I think. Maybe regressed a tad in that UCLA game. But Cradell's a guy who who came in. If you remember the video on, on Twitter on signing day when Lincoln Riley just went berserk, that was for the signing of Jeremiah Cradell. Uh, I think he's from Modern Day in, in California. Um, he, he's a guy that, that they were high on throughout fall camp. We heard about him a lot, and he, he might be able to play some more. Yeah, that's the one that I had uh – had circled out of that group just because of, like you said, where that position stands and also where they think that uh, Jeremiah Cradell uh, could get to um, relatively quickly. So I think that the combination of factors there makes him uh, likely. I think there could be a chance that uh, that Woody Washington could wind up uh, being needed. You know, I think it would take some injuries back there probably at cornerback for, for them to – to fall into that like I don't think it's going to be Jamal Morris um, I doubt it's going to be Spencer Rattler um, and I, I wouldn't think it'd be uh, Wete for sure Marcus Major if they stay okay at running back and don't have a couple of injuries there yeah. I think he's likely to redshirt uh, in that group so uh, Crudell is the one I think uh, you know f- for the the lack of depth at safety and I think he's much more likely to play than Jamal Morris, who I think maybe isn't exactly the most natural fit for for what uh, Alex Grinch likes to do defensively. Yeah, and then for those guys who have played in two games, you mentioned Ndoma Ogar and also another offensive lineman, Stacey Wilkins. Then you have a defensive lineman, Corey Roberson. I would expect all three of those to redshirt, but again, that's a depth issue. If they need them, they'll, they'll play. Yeah, I think uh, – you know, certainly they would like to redshirt in Dome Ogar and Wilkins. I think uh, talking to Bill Beanbow earlier this week, um, actually he got to ask about both those guys uh, this week and likes where they are. I think especially it seemed like in Doma Ogar uh, really likes the progress that he's made, but it's so difficult for freshman offensive linemen to find uh, to find their footing that first year. So it seems like that position maybe is the hardest to play right out of the box. You just don't see very many guys. I think uh, look at I mean I know there is depth, but look at Creed Humphrey. That's a yeah, guy that even redshirted. Yeah, I think I think Creed Humphrey might be an exception to that. I think he could have probably played. Well, heck, talking to Beanbow, he could have played, um, but they were in a pretty good spot there with uh, with what Eric Wren brought at yeah. the time, and also had Jonathan Alvarez. Yeah, there. so they had some depth there where they weren't like. Oh, we've got to get this guy ready, and and he's got to be uh, good to go. But I think you know, had those guys got hurt, and Creed Humphrey would have been able to roll right out there and play. So, um, I, I like I like you said, I expect those guys to redshirt. I think probably Roberson has the best shot of not. Although with some of the depth that they've developed on the defensive front, then uh, then maybe. Uh, uh, maybe they'll be all right sitting him out uh, after another game or two. Yeah, I mean, they've they've just rotated a ton up front. I mean, the defensive line across the country rotate a lot, but especially even in this linebacker core they've rotated. But Roberson's still behind um, all the guys we've mentioned on that defensive front, like Gallimore, Famatao, Stokes, uh, Perkins, Stripling. So there would probably have to be an injury or two for for him to get more playing time, I would think. All right, Joe, we're going to uh, really quickly move to picks. And uh, first of all, it's a bye week, first bye week of the season for, for the Sooners, so no Oklahoma game to talk about on Saturday. But, uh, one, how much football are you planning to watch on Saturday? And, and two, what's the game that really stands out to you as something uh, that you've got to check out? I don't know about you, but just, you know, we make our weekly picks, and I thought this week – was by far the hardest. There's so many lines that were in between five and a half and three and a half, just a lot of close games. But um, just from a local perspective, I, I'm really looking forward to that Oklahoma State Texas game um, to see if, you know, that creates any sort of hierarchy in, in the Big 12. It's a place OSU has had so much success in, and that's Austin. Uh, I, I just think Texas is a little bit better, and I think that Oklahoma State defense is going to have, have a trouble containing Sam Ellinger. Yeah, and you you picked Texas to cover um, in that one, forty two to thirty one, I believe was yeah. was the score that you had. I picked it a little bit closer, forty one thirty or no, not forty one thirty eight, uh, thirty five to thirty one. 
I, I think there's going to be a lot of points scored in this game. I, I really like where Oklahoma State's offense is at right now. Almost uh, ranked the Cowboys this week in my top 25, although one Cowboys fan said I should have my vote taken away for not. To, yeah, uh, get after him. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. We're, we're, we're uh, going to share contact information at the end of this podcast, so listen up. So, but uh, I almost pulled the trigger. I, in the end, uh, I liked a, a little bit more what uh, what some other teams were doing, like Arizona State with the win that they had uh, last week and, and some other things that happened nationally. But – uh, Oklahoma State's right there on the cusp. I really like their offense to this point. Just have a little bit of questions about where their defense stands. Um, Joe, outside of the Big 12, um, is there is there another game that you're, you're really looking forward to seeing this weekend? Well, after I disrespected Wisconsin in week one and picked South Florida to beat them, Wisconsin's been uh, nothing short of dominant. So I think that the, their game against Michigan – is entertaining. Auburn A&M is another SEC game I'm looking forward to. And then Notre Dame-Georgia, that's that's the obvious one. That's the game of the week. Georgia is a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, I I had no good feel about that game. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if Georgia beat them 52-10 to 10 just because <laughs> they're so dominant, but I actually picked Notre Dame to, to cover that, pick 31-20. Yeah, it's funny. A, a fair amount of people picked Georgia to cover in that one. Uh, Barry Trammell did. Uh, Scotty Wright did, Jenny Carlson did, and, and Jacob Unruh did. So everybody except for us, Joe, picked, uh, G- picked no Notre Dame Irish to cover. Is, I, I guess Every, is what we're saying. Everybody picked Georgia to win the game, though. Um, and and Joe pretty much took away any game of any marquee importance this weekend <laughs> as I say, hey, what's the one game you're looking forward to, Joe? I rattled off and, like five. And Joe names like five. <laughs> but there is one that you didn't, didn't hit on, Joe, um, and I think it's really interesting – uh, because of the line and because of uh, the way that both these teams have played going in, and that's Cal at Ole Miss. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ole Miss I don't think is any good. Um, I, I think as we've seen through the first couple weeks, they beat Arkansas. Arkansas is not any good. But Ole Miss is favored in this game by two and a half. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that uh, Cal coming from the West Coast, I believe that game's an 11 a.m. game. Um so that's going to be difficult for for the Bears, especially given the fact um, that their offense isn't quite uh, as dynamic as it's been uh, in uh, in some years. Um, their defense is really good in Berkeley, but uh, that's a game like if I was betting, if I was going to lay money on it, I would stay far away from. But it's an intriguing matchup. Yeah, that that's that's one of those that when I started off by saying this week was hard to pick, I would not touch this game. I mean, uh, I picked Cal by four. I think, you know, all of us except Scott Wright and Jenny Carlson picked Cal, but I have no idea. And, and what a weird, like, uh, I, I think these two teams played last year, um, but what a weird matchup. Like, Cal and Ole Miss, you could not have, like, different sort of uh, – Cultures, I guess, is a right word to use in that matchup. And you just don't think of a team like Cal going to Oxford, Mississippi, but that'll be a cool one. Yeah, they they did not play last year. I think they might have played a couple years ago. Okay. Because um, last year Ole Miss uh, played Texas Tech as their sort of marquee uh, non-conference game. Uh, their, did I say Ole Miss uh, played Texas Tech? That's what I meant. But, yeah, uh, yeah it was uh, 2017 when the Rebels uh, made their visit to Cal. Uh, the Bears won that one 27-16. But uh, that that game is just one that I don't have a real good feel for. I could see that going any, any way. I could see either team winning that comfortably. could see either team winning on a close one. So, uh, But should be a fun, uh, fun Saturday college football. At least we got some uh, marquee games, as Joe mentioned, like 18 of them. <laughs> Didn't mention Michigan State uh, Northwestern. I think is another interesting game, uh, especially given that uh, Michigan State lost last week. Um, I think Wyoming Tulsa. Um, that's another that's one. A, that's I have a, no idea. I, I, yeah, stay I have, away. Stay away. Yeah, I have no no good feel for how that one goes. <laughs> although I will say, it's really close to a must win for Tulsa if yeah. they want to get uh, to be a bowl eligible at some point. Uh, especially after the couple their non-conference schedule that included uh, Michigan State and Oklahoma State, I think they really need to win that one. 
Um, West Virginia at Kansas is another uh, fascinating game and another, like, stay far away from because I have no good feel. You know, well, when, which Kansas team is going to show up? The one that just absolutely kicked the doors off Boston College last week or the one that scored uh, a touchdown against Coastal Carolina? Yeah, that's a good question. Both teams coming off pretty dominant wins against the ACC. Um, I picked West Virginia by 17. It was a statement uh, statement pick after kind of trashing the Jayhawks in the last podcast. But a lot of Kansas love this week. A lot of lot of love. A lot of lot of rock chalk going on in the Oklahoma newsroom. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, so. But we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much for uh, joining the Sooners Extra Podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, Please uh, reach out to us. If you have any questions for the mailbag especially, you can reach out to me uh, through email at rabear at oklahoman.com or on Twitter at ryabear. Uh, Joe, how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, so that's what you want to email and uh, tweet at for your AP poll uh, grievances. Uh, my contact info is jmasato at oklahoma.com and at joe underscore masato, M-U-S-S-A-T-T-O, on Twitter. Two S's, two T's uh, for Joe. Once again, the Sooners Extra podcast is presented each week by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Sooners Extra podcast. Once again, you can check out our work every day at oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoman for the best OU coverage anywhere. (laughs) 